To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have back on one of my favorite people, Tony Treach. Tony Treach, uh, he lives out in the Great Lakes area and every year travels out west. I'm always so impressed by Tony's commitment level. Uh, he's been known to leave his house and not return for months at a time, hunting multiple different states, multiple different tags. Uh, he's been playing this western public land game for a long time and uh, he's just got a, a great approach, great mindset. He's a great hunter. Uh, so, yeah, just happy to have him back on. I really enjoyed today's conversation, and I think you guys will too. I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Swagger Bipods. Shooting a rifle accurately is all about the rest. And if you don't have a set of sticks or a bipod, it's like good luck getting set up in a shooting position. Well, Swagger builds some of the best in the industry. They build a, a bipod with multiple different sizes that'll fit to your rifle. They have a quick detach so you don't have to have the weight on the end of your rifle as you're hiking around. Uh, you can just set it up when you're getting close to a shooting position or when you want to get set up. Um, they get spring tension loaded um, uh, arms on them that will swivel and pivot. Uh, you can you can put the legs in different positions just to be able to shoot in all these awkward uh, shooting positions that that Western hunting gets us in. So um, you know you can shoot from the prone or you can shoot from sitting or even standing or kneeling. Uh, they have multiple different options there, and also if you don't like uh, or don't prefer bipods, then you can get some shooting sticks. So they have some lightweight shooting sticks. Same thing here is they're tension loaded. Uh, so, you know, you can really track your target. If that bull starts walking left or starts walking right, you can swivel right with it. You don't have to pick up your bipod, reset the legs, and then reset on that animal. Uh, so they're some of the best shooting sticks in the market, best bipods in the market. Uh, so if you, if you don't own a set of shooting sticks or a set of bipods, uh, check out Swagger. I also want to thank Everly Stock Packs. I've been using Everly Stock Packs for the last few years. They're just built so durable and pack the weight really well. Uh, I've been using three different models that I've told you guys about, uh, that Day Pack and the Kite Pack. I've uh, been using um, uh, the Little Big Top is a good like three-dayer. And then I use their um, Destroyer Pack for like big expeditions. They've got a brand new series now that will cover all those bases. So it's called the Vapor Series. Uh, I've been using it this this year for bears. It's been working great for me. It's a minimalist setup. So again, sometimes they talk about these companies building equipment uh, that that's built for me specifically. Uh, this is one of those packs. I mean, not that Everly Stock built it for me specifically. They built it because there's a need in the market and it fits a niche, but uh, I really like it and it feels like it was made for me. Uh, they've got three interchangeable packs, 2,500 cubic inch, 5,000 cubic inch, and a 7,500 cubic inch. So again, that'll cover all bases. They fit to the mainframe and the, the mainframe um, really packs the weight well. So they, they come in light. Uh, minimalist setup, 
a great bag. Uh, super impressed by him, and we'll be using that all season. So um, I still like those other packs, but that Vapor Series is a, a pretty killer addition to them. So if you're in the market for a new pack, make sure to check out Everly Stock. Over there at Eastman's, um, we still have that promo code so you can get a free outdoor edge knife. It's a replaceable blade, razor knife. Um, they're, they've got a, a really durable blade, um, which is really nice for you know cutting up elk or even cutting up deer for that matter. And really, these replaceable blade knives, I'm able to butcher an entire elk. Um, you know, I'm able to, to skin, I'm able to quarter, I'm able to bone out, even able to take off the head uh, just with one replaceable blade knife. Well, uh, take that back on elk, uh, usually takes a, a couple blades, even deer. It's so nice just to be able to, to change out that blade. So when that blade starts doling up, like that's when you cut yourself or when accidents happen as you start forcing that blade. And, and anyways, you know, having that replaceable blade, you just use the edge, change out the blade when it gets dull and you're good to go. But our promo code is for both magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal, throw in a free outdoor edge knife. Uh, $50 for both magazines for a year or $30 for one magazine for a year. Promo code is elevated321. So just punch that out on eastmans.com and good to go. Uh, Make sure to check out everything we have going on beyond the grids. I'm really excited. I shot a little piece for um, one of my early season hunts, uh, just this extreme high country adventure I did where I was able to to harvest a buck, and um, I think we're putting that together for a release here shortly. So, uh, again, you can find us Beyond the Grid. That's our internet TV show. Just, just search Eastman's Hunting TV. You can also catch us on the Outdoor Channel. And, um, yeah, check, mention the magazines. think I'm good to go. Uh, a little bit delirious. It's been busy here this summer, man. Oh man. Uh, just trying to keep up with construction projects and responsibilities and then, um, able to pick up a couple speaking gigs, which I'm super excited about. Going to do the, the Western hunting summit this weekend and next weekend. And, um, so excited to get that rolling. Uh, going to be down in, um, Phoenix going to speak down there, um, uh, in an elk hunting sem- seminar, uh, back up to, uh, uh, gonna do um, Fieldcraft Survival. I believe there'll be tickets for that. Salt Lake City, and then I'll be at uh, 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 TAC. Gonna go to Total Archery Challenge. Do that in. Um, I believe I'll be in Big Sky, and then uh, also gonna be in Salt Lake City and the MAF down in Salt Lake City. So uh, busy summer here before we get rolling, and then I do have a, a Hawaii trip coming up. So I've got some bow hunting uh, that's that I'm that I'm super excited about. So, um, yeah, just trying to get all my stuff ready, get in my runs. Had a good heat day yesterday up on a roof and 90-plus uh, degree heat, so that definitely gets me, gets me um, used to that heat. So I'll be ready to rock and roll for these early season hunts. But, yeah, just enjoying the training, and, man, it's going to be here before we know it. Seems like summer's flying by. So get my work, get my responsibilities done, and cut these legs loose. It's going to be a riot. So, um well, thanks, you guys. Let's get into this podcast. So, uh, Tony Treach, uh, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Hmm. In the meanwhile, I was sitting here in my truck. Cause I, I pulled outside uh, of the garage because I'm closer to my office where the Wi-Fi is at. And I shut it off, and instantly a red squirrel runs out from the tree, jumps up, and I can hear him like 
underneath the truck, like in the engine compartment. <laughs> like, like it's just not a oh. good morning. <laughs> you are I, kidding I me. The, no, I fired up the engine. And he he was he ran so fast. He was his ass was flipping over his head when he was taken off out of the out of the truck. So man, the squirrels, mice, and rabbits. That's like the one thing you want to keep out of your rig. They get into those wires. Oh. They can just make a mess. Mm-hmm. I, I've uh, I ran into a guy in Colorado last year that, that parked his razor on top of a giant blue tarp and then folded it over the razor like a like a Christmas present. And I, I ran into him later. I talked to him. I asked him what the hell he was doing. He said, "Keep the marmots out," because they had uh, actually had a a truck lose brakes up there on that exact trailhead because the damn little things chewed the brake lines and then they had to go down using gears. Oh my gosh, I've never heard of that. You have to wrap up yep. your uh, side by side in a tarp. Yep. Crazy. Well, um, <sighs> thanks so much, Tony, for taking the time and figuring out the tech. We're on now. <laughs> Good. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't expect uh, my computers and my phone to be the, the major problem of the day. So yeah, no Got worries. That past us. No worries. Um, you got those credit cards maxed out applying for tags. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> New Mexico is the New Mexico and Wyoming are the scary ones, right? Because they, they, if you want to apply for everything, which I don't even I don't apply for the bison anymore. Just once they raised it up to what five grand, I was like, that's just not it's not worth it. But yeah, between those two states alone, that'll yeah. I, I, I just gotta make sure the wife doesn't find out how much money they hold on to for a couple months. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's, you know, it, it's such a good opportunity, though, for us blue-collar hunters to be able to apply and get some of these opportunities, like the best opportunities in the lower 48. So, um, you know, the more you play the game and the more tags you draw, like the, the more times you want your name in the hat. And, you know, I'm sure you're the same way. Like, I would love to draw mm-hmm. a sheep tag or love to draw, you know, any of these coveted tags. It's such a fun adventure. So, there, there's really no option for me. It's just to um, charge it up and, and yep. like you say, pay the pay the premiums until I get my money back or a tag, which I would prefer. Yeah, no, I do the same in every state except for along the Pacific Coast. And yeah, just fingers crossed. Arizona was my first uh, unsuccessful of the year, so I got that behind me. Uh, no, just. Keeping fingers crossed. I got to get my Montana in this this week, and uh, yeah, hopefully draw something other than you know just gen tags and over the counter stuff. Yep, me too. Yeah, I got my name in the hat. Same uh, with Arizona. They don't like to give me tags down there for some reason, but maybe one of these years I'll buck the odds. Yeah, I got lucky that first year. I think it was 2016 when they changed the the non-resident uh, portion and split it up amongst the random and the in the points and drew a, I mean, it's the easiest, one of the easiest out tags to draw, but, uh, I mean, I saw good bulls, uh, but I drew a deer tag and an elk tag down this year or that year with very little points. I definitely took advantage of the, the new random portion of that, that year. And, but nothing since I even went down and got the, uh, hunter of safety, uh, done down there so I could have that additional point. Oh, good for you. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I guess you know, if I if I continue this this uh, trend and don't draw anything, you know, I'll, I'll be wondering if it was really worth it. But you know, I'm, it seems like 
the point creep is going up at the same rate as my points. So like the, the units that I want to draw last year with, you know, six points, they're the same, the, the odds of me drawing that tag are the same this year with seven points. And it was the same the year before. It's like, I, I'm not really gaining any ground. <laughs> so Boy, I hear you. going up at the same rate of my points. Yeah, a point creep's just happening all over. There's just a, a lot more guys in this application game and playing these states. And you were talking about 2016 drawing the tag. I mean, um, it was amazing. Like, in, in the early 2000s, you know, there was nobody applying for these bow tags. But, yeah, it's just gotten to a point where a lot of these premium tags are, are pretty tough to draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the number of new people that jump, jumped in the last couple of years is especially last year. You look at people with one point in all these states now, and it's just amazing. Uh, and if that, if that continues, I mean, it was bad enough as it was, but the, the new influx that came in last year is, yeah, it's, it's states are going to have to probably change something, uh, go to a more of a, well, hell, I don't know what the problem with the solution would be, but it sure seems like something like Idaho or, or New Mexico is, is a better system, but, I don't know how they could change now with, with some people having so many points and just shut the shut it down and say, well, sorry about all that money you invested, or it doesn't mean anything anymore. They're going to have lawsuits like crazy. Yeah, they can't do that for sure. They're kind of stuck in their, um, you know, in their in their drawing process now, just because, like you say, so many people have so many years, and when it takes a year to get each point, you know, some of these tags, a guy has ten or fifteen years, but you know, there's there's still good hunting out there, and I I truly believe oh, yeah. that you know, there, there's good units and good places to hunt, but. You know, a lot of these units, it just comes down to building your hunting skill set. And you've been working a lifetime to work to build your Western hunting skill set the same as I have. And, and it's really like getting in these places and putting in the time. And trophies can exist, you know, dang near anywhere in any Western state. It's just about uh, learning how to hunt to give yourself the best chance at, at finding one and then harvesting one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I'll, uh, I'll probably be... Uh, a couple, well, I, I should have enough points anyways to draw a, a Utah Gen Deer tag this this fall, and it's 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 definitely not a glamorous tag, and I really will have to work to to find to even find something uh, that I want to want to take home with me. But I guess those those hunts that are hard or tougher like that probably are the ones that, that end up making you a little little better in the long run. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm in the same boat. I've um I've harvested one really good buck from Utah in a general unit, but it just um I didn't like the unit. I didn't like all the pressure in it. So I've been trying to find another unit that that fits my style of hunting, the places I like to hunt, and then population and size, of course. So I'm in the same boat, yeah. Tony. We may be able to team up again on another hunt this year. So last year you That'd drew awesome. a coveted Nevada tag. And my buddy Dan yeah. drew a coveted elk tag in the same unit. Um, so we were able to team up a bit and share information. Uh, it, it mm -hmm. was really fun to share that hunt with you, Tony. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it too. It was nice to have somebody to, to throw ideas off from and uh, plus get the intel back and forth uh, from what you saw and what I saw. But that, that was definitely, uh, for the, the points that I spent in there, I definitely – I definitely expected to see more, more, more of the bucks I was looking for, more of the side that size. Because uh, I, I know they're in there. I mean, you guys found a good one and put, and put me on it. And uh, you know, I found one other one maybe that was that was close to that. And but 
further, you know, far and few between than I expected. Uh, it was, that was a, a tough hunt for me, but. Yeah, I know it. Um, I know you put a lot into it. Like I'm, I'm so impressed, Tony. Like um, you're around the same age as I am, but you go so hard on these hunts. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get you back on the podcast, you're so committed to the cause and um, it, your scouting days blow me away in these units. I think the year before in Nevada, you had spent, you know, over a week scouting when the season wasn't even open, right? Uh, uh, two years ago, I I drew up an archery tag. Is that you're talking about? That one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was yeah, the one I remember. I, I was, yep. Yep. Yeah. In, in 2018, I I drew a, a different unit and I scouted for 10 days to try to find something, and I never never turned up a mature buck. I mean, I shouldn't say mature, but I never turned up anything I would have shot, and it, it was so dry that year. And just finding water was tough, and you know, and you you'd find old bucks, and they were just, I mean, they just they just didn't put on any, anything. You know, their their bodies were just trying to survive, let alone you know they weren't they weren't putting any of that nutrients you know, into their antlers. So I, yeah, I turned that back in, and this year I I, I think I only scouted six days uh, this year in Nevada. Um, Still, but. Yeah. yeah, I mean, six days yeah. is incredible, and then you spent so many days of the season there in Nevada committed to the cause. So, man, I, I just let, like, um, it takes us quite a few years to build our skill set and also just, like, get our finances right to where we can really put the time and effort on these hunts. And I feel like, you know, man, you have sure been uh, giving it your all, especially the last five years. I'm sure it's been the last 10 or longer. You know, I've just known you for the last five years. But, yeah, yeah I'm just so impressed at your commitment. So, you know, you come all the way across the country. You have absolutely everything you need. And then you set up and you are there. And you never miss a, a, yeah. a glassing session. Uh, you put in no. – great miles like you're you're constantly putting in the effort and so like i'm just so impressed at like the hunting skill that you've built and then like your game plan going into these hunts and then also like your discipline to hold off on those mm-hmm. decent you know 170 inch deer because you're looking for one bigger you know because you've accomplished that before and and you believe in yourself and believe you can do it again so like um what you know how do you build your game plan for these hunts when you're going down? How many days do you give these hunts? Is it like I'm going to give it the whole season or you try to give yourself 10-day window? And like you say, you built six days into scouting Nevada. That's incredible. Those scouting days, you learn so much in those days just about the country and finding the bucks. And they're they're easier to find in that summer range or that summer routine with those red coats. So that scouting is so yeah. essential, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's. I definitely try to, you know, put days in front of each hunt if I if I can. Sometimes, you know, you're running from, you know, you got a tag that already starts while you're still hunting another place. So by the time you get there, you know, you're scouting in season. But you know, it's, you know, yeah, the the whole game plan it starts like right now. You know, I'm I've got a, you know, with with the tags, you know, making well, hopefully you can apply for ones that don't overlap or overlap minimally. Uh, but then. I wouldn't be able to, to do what I do if I if I wasn't self-employed. I don't think you know that's that's the biggest key is I've I've built my business around you know the fact that I'm going to be gone for four months straight and everything has to be lined up at home uh, with the wife and and with the guys at work. You know I, I, I'm like you I, I own a small construction company and uh, my niche is is uh, very particular but i work with other builders so and they know that 
you know, I'm going to be gone those months and they cover for me. And it's, it's a, you know, if, if, if they want us around, that's what's got to happen. And, and, and it works out great. Um, but yeah, the, everything starts there. You know, if, if one of those key pieces isn't run smoothly, whether it be at home or at, at work, um, yeah, you know, you, you're not going to be able to be gone that long and, or to be able to concentrate on what you're doing out, out there while, you know, if you, you know, you've got issues at home. Boy, but, that's a, that's but, a good yeah, point. Extra, yeah. It's like uh, to enjoy your time out there, you have to be committed to it, but everything has to be right at home. And, and you make it such a great point at just structuring your life to get the time to enjoy the things you love to do. And I was a weekend warrior for years and that worked for me, but I could do less hunts. You know, I have a Montana general mm-hmm. tag, less travel to the hunting grounds and, and then try to use my time wisely. But um, you're right to do multiple of these out-of-state hunts. You you got to be able to structure your life so you have the time and the support of your family, support of your guys. So yeah, I, I'm in that same boat. It all starts there, having the time and having a clear mind so you can go chase your love and your passion. Yep. Yeah, and I got lucky with with my wife. Uh, I I vetted her out for three seasons. Uh, and she did fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> she, she didn't. You know, she was there when I came home and. Uh, and she knows now that this is, you know, it's, it's, it's my life besides her. This is, this is what I, everything, all my focus goes to anymore. I really don't, I don't fish like I used to. I mean, I I used to work on charter boats You know, I got, got my captain's license and used to do that stuff and fish tournaments, you know, for salmon out in the great lakes. And I don't do any of that anymore. I don't hardly, you know, I don't, my focus is at home and her when I went during the off season. And then when it's hunting time, all my time goes, you know, all my free time for the whole year is focused in that fall and everything else kind of, you know, has fallen by the wayside. Man, you love it. You put so much into it. Like, um, how, how do you keep your mind right? Like being gone for four months or like these, (laughs) these long hunts, like even like that Nevada hunt, you know, it's, you know, I go so hard, but boy, it starts to grind on a guy, especially you get into day eight, day nine, day 10, 11, 12, day and 30. especially like you're stacking <laughs> those scouting days uh, prior to hunting, like a lot of times. So, you know, you're six days scouting and then those hunting days, it, it's tough to keep your mind right or to keep dedicated to the cause. And especially when you're, you know, like that Nevada tag where you weren't finding the bucks that, that you wanted to find. How do you keep your focus and your mind right on these tough hunts? I'm not sure I do keep it right all the time. Uh, (laughs) Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. (laughs) I I bounce off and yeah, I'm constantly bouncing off insanity. It feels like, especially last year. Um, And I would, you know, I'd call Jody and, you know, and after like 30 days of, you know, not, not finding what I wanted. And then, you know, running into disappointment in Colorado too, uh, after Nevada, uh, you know, when I found a bunch of great bucks and was set up on a great, great buck and only to have, you know, someone else blow them out and not turn them up for 12 more days, you know, the rest basically until the muzzleloader guys were running all over the place in there. It was just, I was, I was kind of a mess and I was as frustrated as I've probably ever been. And, you know, I would call her and talk to her about it, and she she would kind of straighten me out and get me, you know, get my head right again. And uh, but it's it's hard to be gone for you know that was pushing on 35 days, probably being gone straight from home at that point after uh, you know the disappointment in Nevada and then things that going as planned in Colorado. 
even after I found them, uh, you know, something to target. Uh, it was, it was tough. And it is, uh, yeah, it's, but having, having good people around you that you can, you know, they, that, that can help you not get frustrated. And, um, uh, and I don't mean, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, most of my hunts are alone, but just having friends and, and her, on, uh, you know, a phone call away to, to remind you that, you know, this is supposed to be fun. You're, you're, you're doing what you love. And just because, you know, you're not wrapping your tag around a giant buck and, you know, at every stop along the way, you, it doesn't mean it's, you know, it, it's not going to necessarily mean it wasn't successful. You know, you, I had, you know, I, I had, I covered a lot of ground of that. I saw a lot of new places and saw some amazing things and, you know, got to run into you and Dan and, and hang out with you guys a little bit. And, you know, I look back on all the troubles, you know, I have three, three blown tires and, you know, electrical issues and my truck and all kinds of stuff going on. I, you know, now it's kind of funny, but you just got to remember that, you know, the, the adventures, you know, those memories will be there for a long time and just got to take, take the good out of it, I guess. And, uh, maybe it, maybe it'll help me, uh, train a little harder this year, focus a little, a little tighter, you know, on what ways to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah, the goal is always success, but um, you're right. We got to enjoy the journey and the process along the way. And, and and if you weren't enough before a big buck, you're not going to be enough after a big buck. But yeah, sometimes we just get in these lulls, you know, where um, it, it just takes perspective. I, I like how you call Jody and and she encourages you and 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 tells you, hey, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing what you love to do. And, and and I think that's what helps me as well is when I get down as. Um, just to put things in perspective and I'm doing what I love to do. And I, you know, it, there's nothing I'd rather be putting effort in into than, than backcountry hunting, you know, and, and covering miles. So yeah, it is putting it in perspective. And then you're pretty good too, about like, you're always grinding hard morning, night, you've always got another game plan. You're mm-hmm. always theorizing, but you're also not afraid to take a day and run to town and do your laundry and take a, a rest day and kind of a recover day. And and that seems to like kind of rejuvenate. Uh, um, it it kind of helps with, you know, the mindset and the body and things to take that day and recover. Um, is that do you have those figured into your game plan as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've. Uh, yeah, usually at least probably no more than I'd say seven days go by without, you know, doing laundry, getting a real meal and, uh, a nice hot shower. It's yeah, that that's got, there's no way I could do, uh, do what I do, you know, living out of my truck in a tent for three months straight. If I didn't, you know, figure that in there, the there's heck, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to make it if it wasn't for my little, uh, that little Nemo uh, pump shower that I, that I have at the truck for in between trips in and that, you know, just, yeah, there's certain things that help you keep, uh, Keep your head straight. Yeah, you get set up right. You bring everything you need for your camp, and then you know you're able to move your camp to different locations and have a different home base. But that's important to feel human and to feel comfortable. Uh, and it just it puts your head back in it. Like I know sometimes I'll be grinding hard and I won't have any coffee in the morning, and we're hiking and it's day in day out. And boy, just with stopping and having a cup of coffee just makes me feel human again, and my brain starts firing, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm I'm pumped up to go hunt again where I was just in a lull. But some of those those human comforts can make a huge difference on a hunt. Yeah, for sure. 
just having, you know, foods that you like to eat, not just foods that are, okay, well, this one's got 150 calories per ounce, so it's going to be, you know, more efficient to carry in. Just just carry stuff you like. Um, yes. And that stuff changes, too, after, oh, man, I, like, I have to, like, rotate my food. Like, I'll, I'll you know, after 40 days of eating this, like, even if I love this, this jerky that I brought, after, like, a month, I'm like, all right, I, I've had enough jerky. I need to switch gears here. And there's, like, there's nothing that that I can eat the whole fall through every single day. I have to rotate it around. I get just get sick of it. <laughs> but, yeah, you make a really good point. Like I like eating um, quality foods, real foods, and, you know, you definitely like calorie-dense foods and fats and things of that, but the most important for, thing for me is that I feel like eating it. Like it has to taste good to yeah. me, you know, or otherwise – you know, I, I just I, I starve myself and nothing sounds good. And and also that high country, you know, you don't have as big of an appetite. And so yeah, it's super important for me yep. to really think through my food and, and, and pack things that I like to eat that sound uh, appetizing to me or, or otherwise I'm not eating enough calories. So, yeah, you bring up a good point there, like when you're planning your hunt. Uh, you know, it's not always about performance or it's not always about, you know, calories per ounce. Like sometimes it just has to taste good. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to, it's easy to not eat, an, eat up there. It seems, I, I don't know how that works with the, with the elevation, but I, I know exactly what you mean. It's, I, I don't know how many times I've come back with, you know, a bunch of food left over and it's like, I should not, like, there's no reason for that. I should, this should have all been, and I'm easily burning way more calories than I'm putting in my body and, I, and yet I came back with food. Yeah, you so. can't make yourself eat. Sometimes like a, you know, like a pack of tuna fish or something that doesn't sound appetizing to me, I just won't eat it. I just can't even make myself yeah. eat it up there. So no, that, that brings up a good point. Um, you you kind of use like this, um, you, you kind of use every tool at your disposal, which I think is really smart when you get in these units, mm -hmm. Tony. Like you have your base camp, uh, last year you yep. had your four wheeler in country, and so you use your four wheeler to get you to vantage points at some, you know, at, at times. But then yep. you're also not afraid to go backpack into country. Uh, you'll leave super early in the morning. You'll day hunt places. You'll backpack and stay in tents in places. Uh, you'll use your four wheeler yep. to get you farther in country and then hike from there. And so you use like every tool at your disposal. And I just think it's such a great approach on these Western hunts because not every hunt is set up where it's a 10 day wilderness hunt where you pack everything on your back. Like sometimes you got to utilize these tools, you know, like a four wheeler or like your truck. I know you really use your truck and I do too. But to kind of get a feel for these units, they're so big. Like you got to be able to travel around and kind of heat check different spots to find out, you know, what those deer prefer. And so, like, how do you make your game plan when you get to a hunt? Are you uh, are you going to drive the unit first when you show up and kind of glass around that way, or do you uh, have some e scouting places that you want to hike into and kind of have an a, B, C, D, E plan, or how do you go about it when you're when you're planning a hunt in one of these units? Well, like uh, like for Nevada, for instance, last year there that's a there was you know it's a big unit cluster. There's a bunch of units there, and and then you know so I, at home during the off season, I, I I figured out kind of you know using intel and from other people and uh, and yourself included, you know I, I put together a game plan of you know what I want to check first and, and bounce around. I think I actually set up my base camp in seven different mountain ranges uh in that oh wow during scouting and hunting um and I, you know so i always like to set up the you know the base camp 
and it's quick and easy to, to take down and, and move, so it's not a big deal. But it just that that's kind of like my even if I come out, you know, if I'm going in for five days or four days, whatever, and I come out, that's my refresh everything, fresh clothes, a quick, you know, a little shop, you know, solar shower thing, and then you know I'm back at it, and that that makes a world of difference. But yeah, sometimes it's you know it, it doesn't make sense to backpack in, and, and you know if it's only a, a half hour hike in, you know I can stay a lot more fresh and focused if I'm coming back to you know a, a semi real food at, at the, you know on the tailgate rather than you know just backpacked in uh it just doesn't doesn't help you it, it might actually hinder you but they, that four wheeler was one of the best investments i've I, i've made i think that was 2017 was the first year I, I got that the previous year was when i had those the, the arizona elk tag and i destroyed that truck um i both front and rear bumpers were trash the running boards <laughs> were completely crimpled up and i had a crease from the front passenger side all the way to the back uh through the on the body i basically got into a couple spots where i couldn't get out i couldn't go backwards i couldn't turn around and i bol- was bouldering basically with a f-250 and it, it does not work well that way <laughs> after that i, I thought you know what and, and that was just getting a, a regular trail just trying to get to the end of a trailhead um but there's no signs that say you know you know atv only or side by side only um so yeah that thing has saved so much wear and tear on my vehicle just getting to trailheads um from my base camp uh, and then then going from there but yeah, you got to be flexible every every unit's different and uh even in the same unit you know you can you know be hunting down low be hunting up high uh just got to be flexible and and uh be ready to change gears if uh it's going to help you get your goal done that's right tony like um you bring up a good point like that uh you know, being adaptable on these hunts is probably our biggest asset. Like you make all these plans from your computer at your house and, and they're good plans and the places that you want to go check out. But, you know, where the real meat is, is, is like what you see while you're there, while you're scouting and while you're hunting and being able to adapt to where those deer like. And, and then, you know, transpose locations. You find deer in this location, you start looking on your map for other places that look like that and in other vantage points on that country. But you know, I think as a Western hunter, uh, our, our ability to uh, uh, adapt and overcome is one of our biggest assets on these hunts because sometimes I can make the best laid plans and I get in there and there's no deer or I get in there and there's a bunch of people in there. And so it, it seems like on all of these hunts, like being adaptable it is like, like one of the, the, the best things you can do or your biggest asset to finding that success is just to keep adapting yeah. and keep theorizing. How much of that do you do on a hunt? Oh, it's it's imperative now, especially with the, with, you know, what we saw last year with the new uh, increase in hikers and tourists and just people getting out. You, if you go in there and you're dead set and rigid on what you think you're going to do uh, and aren't, you know, flexible, you're you're you might not you might not be doing very you know well. It's you know you, you've got to be able to adjust and and uh, yeah, just go everything with an open mind because. Otherwise, you know, you know, say, well, Mike Tyson uh, quote, you know, everybody has a plan to get punched in the face. Uh, I got punched in the face a lot last year. Uh, the the tourists, the extra tourists, and the the increased, you know, hunting pressure in Colorado, you know, that I saw was, you know, and 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 I kept trying to change ways, and you know, it didn't 
you know, it didn't end up working in the end. Uh, but if I if I had uh, had not been flexible, I, I would I wouldn't even have found the bucks I found. Um, you know, I would have had zero chance. Would have probably like a lot of guys did. Probably just like stare around in disbelief at the fact that a spot that you usually used to see you know ten hikers a day, now you're seeing a thousand, and it's bumper to bumper. You know, on on the trailhead road from from the time it leaves the highway to the end and it's just like you can't even wrap your head around what you're seeing but those animals are still out there somewhere you just gotta just gotta figure out where yeah just gotta keep believing and keep putting forth the effort no you're so right and and um yeah, I, I'm the same way, like using all those tools to my disposal. You know, some places call for backpacking trips where you stay the whole time in there. Some call for quick overnight trips. Some call for day hunting. And then, you know, you saw that we we have those little dirt bikes that I picked up last year that are mm-hmm. a huge asset and just save so much wear and tear on the truck, like you were saying. That 250 bouldering is crazy. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, on the, um, I know what you mean about the, the increased pressure, uh, around, there's just a lot more people in the woods. And so like that Colorado, you've had good success down there and you're really good at hunting that Colorado backcountry because it can grow giant bucks and you just put in those backcountry miles. Um, so this year you mentioned it earlier, like you found a great buck there in Colorado. So yeah. like your approach when you find a buck like that and you're hunting them with your bow, you know, you've killed a lot of great bucks with your bow. It seems like you play those scenarios really patiently, especially when you find that big next level buck. So what exactly are you looking for? You know, when you find one of those big bucks, what's the opportunity you're looking for? Or, you know, what are the options that you're weighing before you'll go all in and try to kill that buck? Well, it's kind of a simple approach, but, uh, you know, basically you just got to ask yourself what can go wrong where he's at now. You know, if, what can I kill him there is basically what it comes down to. Is there is there a way for me to get close enough to him without him or his buddies seeing me, smelling me, or, or uh, hearing me? And then, you know, is, is it a spot where the thermals are, you know, gonna between the thermals and the directionals, is it going to be swirling? Is it... Is it uh, is there, you know, do I have an approach? Um, it's, you just got to, you literally have to think of everything, you know, you have to think of any, anything that could go wrong. Um, but I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty aggressive when it comes to uh, getting in tight or trying to get within range. I don't, uh, you know, there's, I, I guess maybe two the places where I hunt, typically the, the terrain allows you to get, get in. Uh, and I can usually usually do that without you know, without risking uh, them hearing, seeing, or smelling me. But uh, yeah, and then it, it's it's just a you know, and, and maybe sometimes you can't get all the way within range, but maybe you can get to a hundred yards and just wait it out. And maybe they you know they get up and feed. But then then you're flipping a coin. Is it they're going to come your way or they going to come another way? Um, the biggest the biggest hurdle is always another hundred. So. Um, it doesn't uh, even if they don't increase tags in, a, in an area, you know, the, the amount of pressure can easily change from year to year just based on you know, you know are all the units are you know, is everybody spread out like uh, little dots on a map or is everybody hunting the same little area and that's that's the big thing that you can't control and ultimately 
I, I know more stocks get blown for me because of that than than anything else. Gotcha. So yeah, you play it similar to me, like uh, fairly aggressive. Like um, you you weigh those options, where the bucks at, where the you know other bucks around them are at, and then um, you know wind approach, and then you make your play. You know, and and um, I yep. like what you said too. Like sometimes you're held up at a hundred, hundred and twenty yards, and you you just kind of sit in striking distance, and then kind of see yep. what happens there. You know, so yeah, I I just um, you know, and we all have these these tendencies, you know, to either uh, be more patient or be more aggressive i i just remember hearing you talk about like waiting on some of these bucks for i think that buck last year you sat on for two days so um what was the problem with the stock there on that buck he just wasn't in the right spot the colorado buck yeah i uh well i found him uh i think i, I got colorado on time uh for five days of scouting and i found him pretty quick i think it was the second or third day and uh i sat on him Basically, once I found those two, and I, and I probably found five other bucks over, you know, 170, uh, all within, you know, not too far away. It might probably be a 10 square mile um, area, but uh, my my time sitting on him, on him was actually before the season started. It was opening morning that I, you know, I the, the, the night before they were still still in the same little tiny little uh, sliver basin. Uh, and I, I made a big loop to get a, above them and behind them. Uh, and they were there at daylight and working across uh, the basin to where they, you know, would bed every day. And I was you know, just waiting for the thermals to switch so I could uh, slide, slide up or above them. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a no brainer, super easy. I had tons of train. All I did was drop back and uh, traverse across the other side of the ridge and then pop up over right above them. And I just needed the, you know, the wind to change and, uh, they didn't even get have a chance to get over to their beds before uh, a couple of uh, I, th- I believe they were elk hunters. Um, they didn't uh, have any. I don't even think they pulled up their binoculars when they saw you know when deer were running out of the basin. But they came right up. And it's really steep. Like I, uh, even if it was a, if it wasn't possibly deer in that basin, I, I, it's a tough hike to to get up that way. And I don't think I would. But they came right straight up. Uh, from a, a trailhead below, uh, probably a thousand feet, and uh, walked right through the basin and blew up those deer. And they they scattered and uh, yeah, I mean usually when that happens, uh, within a few days, you know maybe even like in 2019 it happened to me. Uh, a hiker blew up my buck and it took I think eight days for him to come back, but he eventually came back. In this case, they just never came back. I think you know they got bumped by those guys and then. I, I think they were just playing pinball at that point and they, you know, they run into another group of hunters or hikers and, and then they bounced from to another one at that point, you know, they, they could, you know, they've been spooked and, you know, multiple times in the same manner. Uh, even if it's not someone that's trying to kill them, they don't know the difference and who knows how far away they ended up being. I, I, I never was able to turn them up and I definitely put a lot of, a lot of days into trying to find them, but Man, I bet. Isn't that the worst when they disappear? I, you know, I've had, um, I've been lucky enough to harvest some giant bucks and, and, um, but there, there's a lot more of those giant bucks that have got away over the years. And, uh, sometimes you find a giant buck and you make a play and it doesn't work out and maybe he didn't smell you or see you. Maybe you heard some rocks rolling. And, And in that scenario, a lot of times those bucks, 
they don't go far. They might go over the next basin and they get to be in deer again, or like you said, they return to that spot. But, you know, yep. those those big deer, they don't make very many mistakes. And I know, you know, I had a, no. a good chance at one of those next level uh, bucks at the, the last time I hunted Colorado or two two trips ago. And, um, mm-hmm. man, I got in. He walked by me at 30 yards. He just never stopped. And there were seven bucks in the group. And, um, it, anyways, he, he got out there a bit on me. It was like, I think the shot was 65. And there was no wind where I was at. But there was wind in between me and the deer, and I I put one. Mm-hmm. It went right in front of his chest. I I watched the wind sail ah. that arrow and push it over, and and I missed him. And that that buck disappeared, and I never turned him up again. I mean, I looked in every connecting basin. I glassed for five days after that, and and there was just no. He's just gone. You know, I don't know if he dropped down to secondary living or what the case is, but. A lot of those big bucks you get one chance at, and then they're gone. Like you were saying, pinballing around in there, you know, that buck, he never got to feel secure again where he could return to that basin. He got down in there and started running into people, and like you said, who knows where he ended up. But, boy, I bet you covered some miles and uh, put some hours behind the glass trying to find that thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's still, uh, still a little bitter. <laughs> those ones hurt like I posted, oh yeah i posted a video the other day on instagram just kind of like my my sad song of you know him again but you know he'll there'll be there'll be others and uh he sometimes maybe if if this is the new normal of uh how many people we're gonna see uh between you know hunters focusing in on you know new areas plus the new you know, new influx of uh hikers and tourists you know day day hiking around might have to start rethinking uh the places we hunt and uh not not just how we hunt them but maybe where um i've been seriously looking at you know the idea of okay there's these these, these places in colorado where, where i've bow hunted and it's you know multiple different units uh they're beautiful they're absolutely some of the most beautiful places out west uh same thing for wyoming um but there's a lot of places like some of the areas in nevada where we're where we were hunting um and they're they're pretty they're 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 scenic but we didn't see hikers and you know down in the, in the low areas or in you know in nevada like you know last year uh and there's a reason people aren't tourists aren't you know putting their vacation in to go hike around in the dry hot you know desert some people are but nothing like the high country of colorado and i think that you know maybe to generalize it i'm starting to look at places that are ugly places that aren't beautiful <laughs> places that tourists aren't going to want to go yeah um maybe the, the bucks will still like it uh but it's just not the place that every non-hunter wants to go take his family you know to go hike up to see a beautiful alpine lake or just to be able to get up there above tree line and you know get take their selfie on a 14er uh it's those are those are the places that are going to get bombarded with with non-hunters and those are the places that are going to you know it's going to be a whole new challenge of uh trying to you know stay on unpressured deer 
Oh man, uh, you bring up a good point. Like we talked about adapting, you know, to the hunt, but yeah, it's adapting to the current time, day and age we're in too. You know, uh, this yeah. influx of people that are in the high country. So you bring up some really good points. Like I, I've been thinking about that as well. Like the the wilderness and deep in the wilderness. You know that that's been my key to success for a lot of years, and and putting in that extra effort, but. You know, nowadays it's like everybody can read a map and see that that's wilderness. And there's so many guys now that are training and that are going hard. And so, you know, I've noticed the the influx of people in this wilderness, of people hiking in, people camping, uh-huh. people staying in there, which which puts more pressure on it, you know. And so, like, I, yep. I've had to adapt as well. And some of my better spots now, you know, are not wilderness but but they're kind of like I I think of them as a secret wilderness because I think it's not marked wilderness on a map. It's national forest or it's state land or it's BLM. But there there's no roads in there, and even sometimes there are roads that go in there, but they cross private where nobody can access into them. So there's no mm. vehicle pressure from the public. So finding like these little oasises like uh that that aren't marked a wilderness have been a go-to for for me for finding big mature bucks and getting away from that pressure so i find myself adapting too and 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 i don't you know the high country has been my favorite for years and i'll continue to hunt the high country and try to adapt and try to find places but you know i'm almost finding like some of these these foothill hunts or uh, 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 breaks or badlands, you know, some of these hunts can produce some giant bucks in there and kind of getting away from that hunting pressure. And, and two, like when you go into a wilderness, you know, everybody that's hunting that wilderness is, is in backpacking shape and they're going hard, but you go to a roaded area and all of a sudden everybody has a cush camp and they're day hunting from their truck and nobody's really backpacking in those places, you know? And so then if I can take my backpacking mm-hmm. skill set into those places, it seems like I can find some incredible hunting. So yeah, I, I think, I think, um, you know, being adaptable and, and kind of changing our hunting locations and, and keep trying to theorize where these big bucks can grow up, uh, I think it's going to pay off in the end. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a great, that's a great point uh, and a good tactic that, it, uh, that would probably help a lot of people hearing that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it's like uh, uh, our our biggest asset as humans, as backcountry hunters, is our ability to think and theorize and come up with game plans. And so, yeah, I mean, as conditions keep changing and more and more pressure, like we just got to keep finding new areas and different areas that, that produce, you know, those opportunities that we're looking for. But it, it sure is fun, like trying to solve the puzzle, you know, and it'll, it'll be fun again oh, yeah. this year, like going for it and going all in so uh tony like me and you are the same age like around the same age uh i really think that it takes us like quite a few years of building that experience to get to the level where we're at you know like um i i think um you know i don't know if we're quite in our prime still but i sure feel like it i feel like i'm in good shape and um can drive hard and i just have that experience behind me and i've also harvested some good bucks where i can hold out for those big next level bucks uh you you do so good on these backcountry hunts do you feel like you're just hitting your stride uh boy it's you know oh, if i look at the results it definitely uh seems as though in the last five years you know have been much better results than you know the previous five so 
I think that's just you know from learning, you know, experience, you know, the not only the units better, but how to how to make it happen when when you do get the opportunity. Um, physically, uh, things, you know, shoot, I'm you know I'm in less pain now than I was when I was in my 30s. I had uh, I have uh, my L, I think it's L4 and L5 discs are herniated from uh, well just who knows what rough life uh, a lot of a lot of you know stuff happened at work getting hurt and, and motorcycle crashes and football and falling on the tree stands and you name it uh those those discs caused a lot of pain uh in my 30s and late 20s and i what 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 i think the reason now that they're not is you know the amount of miles that i hike with a backpack and uh you, you, your core doesn't have a choice you don't have to work out you know to, to get a strong core if you're you know averaging seven to ten miles for four months straight with a backpack on even if it's only 30 40 pounds uh you core your core will get strong and I, I don't have the back pain i used to anymore so maybe maybe i am stronger than i, than I used to be but but things definitely you know things definitely break down in the body as you're going you know as you're getting older i wouldn't say i'm necessarily physically at my prime but you know i, I know how to use what i have i guess better now yeah, well, you you keep in really good shape. You keep the weight off your frame, which I think is important. And um, you know, you go so hard. So yeah, you make like uh, that 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 weighted uh, rucking or that that weighted hiking. Gosh, that's so good. And you think it would hurt your back more. Your back would be sore, but it's it's like your muscles adapt and your core adapts to that strain you put on it, and then it supports your back better. So I'm the same way. I had. I had worse back problems. Like I'm, I'm just getting into my 40s now. I turned 41 here in April, but like I had back problems in my 20s and 30s, like you did, and and um, yep. you know the 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 trail running and then the backpacking and all this work that I that I put in. You know, I also you know try to weight train, and then flexibility has been a huge one for me. Uh, but throughout that work. I've got my back better than it's ever been. You know, it's uh, I can I can trust it and and rely upon it now. And I just think that's so important, like keeping the weight off and then being active. Like your body adapts to the stress that you put on it. And so you know, you put that stress on it for for four months of backpacking around. Your body adapts to that. You know, and and that adaptation is good. You know, and so man, it's just so great to hear that you're you're not having any back pain and you don't have any restrictions on what you can do like you say you're still putting in seven to ten miles a day you know you're still going really hard and and i think the biggest thing is just to to still have the passion for it and you still have the passion for it and i do too and it almost seems to grow every year for me um but but i think that's the most important part is to to um you know really have this drive and really want to push yourself and and want to put everything into these hunts and have this great adventure like I, I think that's the driving force to me, and that's something that I never want to lose. And uh, I'm just so fortunate that I found this backcountry bow hunting, you know, for big mule deer and elk and, and antelope. God, it's just so fun for me, you know, and, and you have that too. But, yeah, I, I think that's what's going to keep us going, you know, uh, uh, into our later years. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, even with uh, you know your diet changing, you know when when I'm when I'm out there for months on end, when I come back uh, and I don't really work out besides just the hiking, the hunting, the, the moving around, I'm in the best shape 
that I will be in the rest of the year. Like it, I come back, you know, at my college weight and I could, you know, it's, yeah, it, it wears the wear. It doesn't really wear and tear on my body. It makes it stronger and better. I come when I'm done with my season, I'm mentally fatigued, but my body is like the best it's going to be all year. Oh, me too. Just ripping shape, right? I love it. Hunting season. Yeah. Uh, You just, um, because like even in my training, I just can't replicate that. I can't replicate uh, all day hiking, you know, or day in, day out like that. And so even though I train really hard and try to hit peak physical condition, like my peak physical condition is like mid season, you know, when my body's used to it and I'm, I'm grinding hard and, and also, you know, I I think taking that extra weight off helps. Like you got to have muscle on your frame to hunt the mountains, but you got to teach that muscle endurance. And so I think I like to be like I start weighing in, and like you said, your college weight. I start weighing in, and I'm I'm my lightest of the year. You know, mid season or you know when I'm going hard like that. But but it just seems yeah. like I cover those miles easier. And I think I think just keeping the weight off and and um you know it as as I get older, I I make better food choices and. You know, when you're in your 20s, you can get away with with eating crappy food, and yeah. you don't really notice how you feel. Or your body bounces back, and and two, you don't really have to train much in your 20s. You can just rely upon your youth to get you wherever you need to go, and your body recovers. You know, maybe that's from sports when we were younger. It's just that 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 youthfulness, you know. But as we get older, yeah. we have to work harder to keep ourselves in that shape and keep that weight off. But uh, our bodies are still completely capable of putting in, you know, even more. Mi- I look back at my miles log, and I do more miles now than I did five years ago, and ton more miles than I did ten mm. years ago. And my body feels better, but I have to treat it better. I I notice if I don't eat yeah. right, I can feel it in my body. So, like, I, I think um, I pay better attention to that and just take better care of myself as I get older. And and, and I think it pays dividends on these backcountry hunts and how you feel because if you're absolutely exhausted wiped out you're just not going to hunt as effectively the next day you're not going to make those smart decisions you're not as sharp like i almost get dumb after a big day of exertion like uh after a marathon the next day i'm stupid you know like i can't think clearly or quickly you know and i notice that so on a hunt like having myself ready to push and and like i i push hard day in day out but i also know when i'm redlining and so like on a big yeah. backcountry hunt, you know, I know I can do, you know, six to 10 miles if I'm in Cooley country or something like that. I can do upwards of 13, 15 miles a day. I get good sleep and I'm recovered the next day. But I know if I have one of those huge exertion days and I remember a day like hunting Nevada a handful of years ago where I saw a buck that was so far across this canyon. I was already so far from camp. But it was such a good buck, and he was in a good spot that I went all in. And so it was all day, and I probably did 5,000 vert that day, returned to camp in the middle of the night. And I remember the next day I was just wiped. I just didn't have the energy or the go. So, like, uh, I think it's pushing hard on these hunts. But I think it's like knowing your limitations, like trying to get in 3,000 vert a day is my max and 10 miles and trying not to push over that red line because then I know I'm not going to be as effective the next couple days. But if I keep inside that window that I've trained for that I know my body can handle, I just feel so good each and every day and my body recovers every night. Do do you find like you have a red line like that, Tony, when you're on these hunts that you don't want to push too hard or are you all in all the time? 
<laughs> I think my body tells me, I, even if I don't necessarily have to, uh, like, I don't have like hard limits of like what I'll, what I can and can't do, but, uh, I definitely, uh, I probably, I probably do go too hard often. And then I, I suffer the consequences the next day. Um, I think the day, I think it might've been the day after, uh, we first saw, ran into each other in Nevada last year. I don't remember if, if you recall, but I, uh, had, day hiked up into an area well actually i backpacked in i thought i was going to be able to stay up there because i thought there was water up there and there wasn't and i ended up having to come out uh half-ass dropping down to look for water when i didn't find it i'm like i I, i'm almost out and it was like 90 degrees it felt like 90 degrees anyways whatever it was it was kicking my butt and by the time i got back to camp um i had been out of water for you know half of the hike out and i was mentally not there and that that next day i i didn't do anything um i had a headache uh like terrible from the middle of the night on you know even though i came back and just you know drank a bunch of water a bunch of electrolytes uh it it whooped my butt and i you know looking back is pretty dangerous probably but i uh i I probably should set you know (laughs) limits on what i do more and i wouldn't end up in those situations but um I guess I just probably more or less just bounce off that red line and, and then suffer the consequences. <laughs> I do remember that now that you mention it, Tony. I, uh, you said you were dehydrated as all get out and pretty far back in there, didn't find water. Um, it, it sounds like that situation did get pretty dangerous, really. And and we can push these limits, and our body's capable of so much, but that dehydration, uh, I, you just can't let it go too far. And I, I think I told you a story when we were on that hunt of Dan and I earlier in Nevada hunting deer, and, and we pushed it really hard on that day that I killed my buck. I mean, we woke up in the morning. We had been backpacking. This was our second backpack trip, so we did three days in one area. This was like three or four days in another area. And we had to pack all our water in there. And so, you know, you're you're kind of trying to, to make sure you've got enough water for the hunt. And so you're not really hydrating for those three, four days up there like you should be. You're you're trying to, to keep enough water to keep hunting. And so we woke up that last day. And I think Dan had 32 ounces and I had 16. And um, we glassed up some bucks and it was hot. It's that early August hunting. And uh, we made a play for him and, and I ended up killing that buck. But it, it we had to wait in the sun for two hours for him to stand. And it, it was just brutally hot. And, and we got done and killed that deer. And, and um, me and Dan, we were both in pretty rough shape. And I, I was even a little worried about Dan. I think he was a little rougher than I was. But I have never been... You know, I used to dehydrate for wrestling to make weight and things, and I haven't been uh-huh. this. I haven't been that dehydrated since wrestling. Like it, my mouth was so dry and almost hurt. I just wanted water so bad, and yeah. and we shared all our water till the end, and then um, I ended up hanging the buck in the shade. And, um, and and then we ended up hiking out, but we had to do a huge climb and a huge hike back to the truck. And then the next morning at daylight, I came in from the other side and packed that buck out. But, uh, you know, I know Dan paid for it the next day, and uh, I could definitely feel it the next day. And when you look back on it, like that's a little bit too close to the edge as far as dehydration because, mm-hmm. man, I mean, if it hits you and you're up there and you have no way to get out – uh, you know, it can it can cripple you up there, and 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 you can die from it. Especially these early hot hunts like that, those early season hunts. Uh, guys gotta gotta listen to his body and pay attention to it, and, and make sure you're planning yeah. for that 
you know, to, to make sure you've got water day in, day out, because water is the lifeblood of the backcountry, and especially when you're backpacking. And, and, uh, if you don't have it, it's like there's nothing you want more in this world than just a drink of water. <laughs> like you just do anything for a for a full analogy mm-hmm. full of water. And when you don't have it, boy, you are on the edge. So just like you, I, I've got myself in some of those dangerous positions that I need to be cognizant of, you know, moving forward and make sure I'm prepared for it. Like, you know, you have to make sure you, you lived on another day. Yeah. Yeah, that was – I guess still remember – like the thoughts that were going through my head. I mean, my, my, my calves and my, my thighs were cramping up, um, you know, after I ran out of, well, they were doing it before I ran out of water when I was trying to, uh, just drink as little as I could. So it last, um, like my, my legs were physically moving. There was muscles in my calves that just were completely knotted up. And I mean, I was probably looked funny the way I was even walking and moving when I got, finally got back to the truck. It was, bad feeling i mean you you just things go through your head like what if i you know can i get moisture out of chewing on these this grass this leaves anything you know can i you, know, you think about drinking your chapstick whatever you can find it's just like <laughs> you need to get something in, in your in your throat it's just yeah definitely not not good and push it too far but found out there was no water or no bucks up there though <laughs> <laughs> cross that so place got off the list huh yep Yep. A lot of times those bucks just don't need much water or they find a seat. Like I very rarely see deer drink. Like uh, my desert hunt late in the season, um, you know, I'm learning to hunt this desert better, which, again, I think the, the desert is kind of like that new wilderness. I really like hunting that desert. They're, you know, the populations are low. They're low densities. Uh, but those bucks can grow giant down in there in that desert. But mm-hmm. um, they're so dependent on water down there, which is different than, than the majority of my hunting. Like even hunting that dry place in Nevada, you know, where we dehydrated and killed that buck, there's no water on top of that mountain. But I'll see those bucks day in, day out in the tops of those shoots and, and very rarely, almost never see them drink water or go down to water. Uh, they just get a lot of their, their water from you know, the dew off the grass or the, the moisture content and the food. And so, you know, I find those mule deer, they live a lot of times away from water, you know. So um, yeah, it's been, you know, like being able to pack your water with you um, and, and be able to live in these places where other humans can't be. That's like another one of my trade secrets, you know, because I can pack yeah. 100 or 130 ounces of water and, and get through three days um, you know, of hunting in this spot where there is no water and guys will hike up there with a 32 ounce Nalgene bottle of water and that'll only get them, you know, that day. So they just can't stay and can't yep. live up there. And so like being able to pack my water and plan for it is a major advantage for him. But I just don't see mule deer drink that much water. How about you? That's a good point. Uh, you wonder, you know, if maybe they're going dropping down at night, like every few days or something to get water, or if it is all from their food. But yeah, I've seen, seen definitely seen uh, bucks and spots where I, I couldn't even figure out where they were would be dropping down, you know, unless it's just miles away. Um, yeah, and there's definitely yeah, water is key. There was, you know, there's 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 been hunts I've been on, and uh, that you know, the only the only water source you might have is you're sharing it with you know bovine cows and you know, yeah, almost. I remember one time in Utah, I actually had to push physically, like push a cow out of 
you know, she was standing in the little seat, like, uh, you know, it's, it's plenty deep. It should be clean. And, but no, the cows just basically turned it into a bath and, uh, and I had to filter water out of there or I mean, just didn't have a choice. Uh, in hindsight, I would have loved to have known that that wasn't be the case. And I'd pack it in before, you know, that's another valuable thing with scouting trips. You know, if you're find that you find the bucks you want, to hunt and you and there is no water there you can you can make you know a couple of overnighter trips and bring just water in there and stash it so that uh, it allows you to you know, you know to stay in there where where no one else will be able to unless they do the same thing so yeah yeah that's it uh planning for it yeah i've got some water out of some pretty dirty places before i i hate when my uh, when my water tastes like elk i know that that's not a good sign you know yeah. even after filtering it, it just tastes like an elk yep. but yeah and then i remember last year filtered even, urine is still urine <laughs> that's right and i uh remember last year even some of my late season spots there there's just no water no snow in there um but there there was some cattle tanks in there and so actually the water wasn't too bad but uh you know the cattle tanks as far as like uh, the big metal tanks that they water their cows out yep. of you know there was some water in yep. there and ended up filtering out of that spot to be able to keep into water and keep back in there but yeah you're right those scouting trips they not only tell you where the bucks are like it's imperative to figure out where you're going to camp uh where the water's located at so you can live in these areas and a lot of times in the backcountry too you know, you can find a little secret seat that nobody knows about that isn't on any maps or anything. I know, like, one of these ranges I hunt in um, Nevada, like, I've got this spot that I've developed, and there's no water for 10 miles on this ridgeline, but I found this little seat that I drop about 500 feet in elevation and down kind of through the trees, and all of a sudden there's a little seep right there. And um, it allows me to live where nobody else can live because I know where that water is. So, yeah, a lot of these scouting trips, it's like where will you get water from, and especially high country mule deer hunting. I've ran into it Wyoming. A uh, place I hunt in Colorado has good water, but – uh, you know, one of the last zero point units I went in, you know, water was really tough. We had to drop all the way down 2000 feet to a lake to get it. So like, yeah. I think planning where you're going to get your water is so important to these hunts because if, you know, like I say, it's the lifeblood uh, of the backcountry. So if you don't have water, uh, you, you're not going to last very long hunting in that place. So you got to have a plan of where you're going to get it, where you're going to pack it in from. And a lot of times off maps, you can see little lakes and things and grab it on your way up to the ridge or, uh, you, you know, and then glassing for real green, uh, lush uh, 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 foliage, you know, will sometimes, you know, put you into water that way, but you got to get down there and explore. And it's way better to explore that thing during scouting than it is during hunting. So I'm going to take a page from your book, Tony. And I, you know, a lot of these units, I scout really hard. Some of these units are so far away that I don't put in the necessary scouting time. And I think, you know, I think I pay for that. So I think this year I'm, I'm really going to try to put in that summertime, uh, uh, learning that country and learning those bucks. It, it just pays such dividends during the hunt. Yeah. That's the most fun time, uh, that I have too, uh, during the, I'd say the whole fall. I mean, besides, you know, standing over your target buck after you got it done, those, those scouting days are, are the best. I mean, there's no pressure, uh, well, unless you're not finding anything, then there's a little pressure, but you know, as you're, you are, you know, you find what you're looking for and learning new areas and making those little water waypoints on your, you know, your map, your mapping software. That's, and those are, those are days well spent and a lot of good memories. 
Well, and a lot of times those scouting days, you have it all to yourself. You notice that the the hills are pretty empty, mm-hmm. and so you get this really cool experience of just you up there. And sometimes it can get you give you a false sense of you know, how you're going to kill that buck or where those bucks are because you find some giants and there's no people around. But come season, you know, yeah. maybe there were some other guys that knew about them or did scouting trips when you weren't in there. Uh, but but the hills start yep. to fill up with people a little bit. So you got to be careful there when you're scouting. But I'm with you. I, I love it. Uh, because I get to put in big miles too. It's like those bucks are out throughout the day, and 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 so I don't have you know definitely make good on that prime time morning, prime time evening. I want to be in good spots, but I can just take the day and hike all day long and just looking in all these different basins and finding bucks. And then uh, when I'm scouting, you know, I'm always looking for that next level buck. But you know, I find a good buck, and then you know, I don't just sit on them. I just keep traveling and try to learn more information about the unit. But I'm with you. I I love those scouting trips, and I love like a like a good bonsai three day scouting trip where I can just go put in the miles and really learn that country. So I'm definitely gonna plan for this that this year, and I I think it plays a huge role in success, and especially on these bigger age class boxes, just knowing where they live and where they prefer, and then being able to go back to that spot during season and look for them when they tighten up their program and maybe spend a little bit more time in the timber and uh, they have their gray coats on, but you already have this intel of of where they like, where they live and where you're going to find them at. And I've had it pay dividends too. Like um, I scouted this, this spot in Wyoming this, this one year, and we'd found a bunch of good shooter bucks in these drainages. And I knew these bucks were in there, uh, but I had a, uh, an overlapping Colorado tag. So you know, I hunted Colorado for the start of the season, so I didn't get back to Wyoming till about September 6th or 7th, somewhere right in there. Mm-hmm. And um, when mm-hmm. I got there, uh, I went into these basins that I had scouted where I had seen over 100 bucks and a bunch of good ones, and there was no people in there. I had it to myself, which, um, you know, it, it is also rare, but I, I had this place to myself, and so I started looking around, but the bucks just were not there. They were not in these basins where I scouted. Hmm. And so I started theorizing and it, it had just, that food had burned off up top and the bucks had started to shed their velvet and they had just moved down into that secondary living. And so they were a thousand to 2000 feet off the top. And so, you know, I was up there on the tops and looking in these bold basins and not really finding much. I think I found a couple bucks, you know, but it, it just was nothing like I had scouted. But I knew from my scouting that those bucks lived in there and they had to be close. And so I ended up walking down this spur ridgeline down about a thousand feet, grabbed this vantage point, and instantly all those bucks that I had scouted were just down a little bit lower and hanging in these the sparse timber and avalanche shoots and still in super rough and rugged country and still in the high country, but they just weren't in the top in those alpine basins. And, and I ended up killing a really good buck on, I think, the 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 last day before the rifle season opened like the 14th or something like that like pretty deep into the hunt and killed one of my best bucks to date down in those secondary living so that if i hadn't scouted that i wouldn't have known to go down and look or i wouldn't have kept believing those bucks were in there i would have just traveled those high country basins and said well you know there's only a couple bucks in here i'm going to keep moving on i'm going to keep going but that scouting told me those bucks were there so i i think you you never quite know what role that scouting's going to going to play on your hunt but i think it's always good yeah yep yeah the more the better and uh yeah the more time you spend out there the more you kind of learn learn the, learn the area and the animals 
Yeah, absolutely. And then, so you got after those early season deer, and then you continued to hunt. Um, you had a couple elk tags last year. Yeah, I had a uh, well, just an over the counter elk tag in, in uh, Colorado, and actually got on a couple of great bulls. Um, and every day I would uh, go in after them; they would seemingly disappear. And every day I would, I would after after I would lose them, I'd go to the other side. Uh, you know, it's like a a full day to get the this other glassing point on another mountain basically looking across i glassed them up every single time i went across and every single time i went in after them they were gone so i don't i don't know how how because I, I was coming up the backside of the mountain they were living on and I, <laughs> I i know they didn't smell me or hear me or see me uh it, it, maybe they just weren't vocal and they were actually i i was just maybe they're just walking circles around me i don't know but um i hunted that for a a while and uh, uh, did not get it done on either of the two that I wanted to shoot. I had lots of smaller bulls uh, and cows that I could have, but I just had my heart set on, you know, for 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 an over-the-counter unit. They were both giants, you know. For you know, they're probably 330, maybe a little more. Uh, you know, and Colorado over-the-counter, anything over 300 is is a rare rare elk. So uh, hunted them for a while, and then uh, I. Uh, I had a Wyoming deer tag too uh, that I did not get a chance to get over there during the uh, the archery. So uh, I hunted uh, hunted that with deer with my friend Derek Henderson, and uh, we were able to find a pretty good bull or a buck and, and kill him. I uh, it was the busiest I've ever seen, you know, the, the last week of the rifle season in in Wyoming in a general unit, you know, and you know, like everywhere else, it was just crazy busy. Uh, but definitely had to hunt i hunted areas i've never been before just just to get away from the, the pressure uh and it was a lot lower in that secondary type you know timber like you're saying um they just weren't you know the deer hadn't seen that much pressure in a while either i guess because they were in spots that I, I just don't think that they uh normally are in that time of year and had to had to adjust there uh but i did have another elk tag after that that i, I hunted for a while uh in, in montana just in montana general and I hunted a unit that was actually the first. I haven't been back there in a long time. It was one of my the first areas I'd ever hunted elk in, and uh, went back to where uh, I shot shot it uh, my or killed my elk out of there. Uh, I think it was the second elk I ever killed. And there is now a uh, an outfitter camp. This is like you know a half day hike from the trailhead. <laughs> There's a giant outfitter camp less than 100 yards from where I killed uh, my my bull in that unit, you know, back in, you know, nine, eight, or I don't even know how many years ago, seven, eight years ago. And, uh, the whole area was devoid of elk and full of horses and hunters. <laughs> so oh, kinda, no. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I was uh, in the process of changing areas and going somewhere else and a, and a storm hit and, uh, those, you know, those roads in Montana, they're the worst when they get wet, they're the, there's as bad as, they're worse than anything I've ever seen, uh, and uh, didn't really get the chance to change change areas before I just ran out of time. But that was a heck of a buck no, in Wyoming a... that you that you shot. Really nice, dark, heavy horn, big backs. It was a great buck. Um, 
Yeah, you you spend a lot of time. You you believe in these vantage points too. Uh, you do a good job of living and dying behind your glass. Like um, you you find the best vantage points in country, and then you believe in them and you sit on them. Uh, I think that's so important. Like glassing is really important, but it's almost like believing in glassing is more important. Like believing in these master vantage points are going to do you better than like hiking through country or hiking around country. Uh, but you're really good at finding those good vantage points and then believing in them too. Tony. Yeah, it's sometimes it's it's pretty hard to convince yourself that you're doing the right thing by just hunkering down and, and sitting there when you when it seems like there's just nothing that's within sight. But you know, I, through hiking and, and bumping everything around is, is not gonna it's not gonna help you kill them. Uh, even if you do find them, you know, you're back to the waiting game of will they come back and will I be able to turn them up again? So it's uh, it's yeah. Definitely tried the patience, and uh, but there's, there's really no other no other way that's as, as consistent, you know, for me to, to to find find the bucks I'm looking for than just to just keep looking. That's it. I'm the same way. Believing in the glass, believing in the vantage points, and keep theorizing. But uh, well, Tony, I I uh, I really respect all the hunting that you do. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time and being on the podcast and sharing your insight. Like, um, you know, you have years worth of knowledge, and um, to to come on and share that with guys, I just really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me on, Brian. Thanks. Yep, and appreciate our friendship too. I like keeping in touch with you, and so uh, hopefully, yeah, maybe we can connect on that that Utah hunt, or let's just see what tags we draw and keep in touch. That sounds good. I'd love to run you and Dan again. Cool. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, Brian. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Always fun to talk to Tony. Uh, we've just become friends over the years, and um, I really like that guy. And I love his commitment level, his approach to Western hunting. Uh, he's just a, a do-it-yourselfer and um, gets it done consistently on on big critters. So can't wait to see what he turns up this year and, and uh, always enjoy the conversation. So thanks again to Tony. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors for today's show, uh, Swagger Bipods, Everly Stock Packs. Make sure to check those guys out. And uh, check out everything we've got going on over there at Eastman's. And, um, man, just going to keep it rolling here and um, keep working away on these projects. About to get one house finished up, and um, that'll be a good feeling. Get one out of my hair here and uh, a couple of these smaller jobs that are supposed to uh, um, getting checked off my list. You know, I uh, got to fit in uh, previous clients that have been good to me. And so... Uh, Although I'm I'm busy enough, you know, just gotta gotta fit them in and and uh, find a way to get it done. And same thing, doing a little project for my sister, and she's been waiting patiently. So um, definitely get her wrapped up, and um, yeah, just get ready get ready for this hunting season, and uh, make sure I've got my bases covered. I've got another carpenter that's gonna come on and help me during the fall. So yeah, just so excited, man. It's um that fun time of year. So. Just uh, keep working round the clock, uh, mornings, days, evenings. I uh, did get out for some really good fishing on the salmon fly hatch. Um, uh, hit that over on the big hole uh, last weekend with Dylan. Just a riot. I'll have to get him back on Flycast. He he does so good on the podcast, and uh, we just become really good friends. And he's a great adventure partner. So uh, y- yeah, check out that other podcast, uh, Eastman's Flycast. 
so it's a fly fishing specific podcast but yeah as uh, bear season kind of gets over i get into training and then um looking to get out and throw some flies even though it's been so busy but uh, i did get out this past weekend got the family out my wife and my girls we went fishing on sunday and um, floated down the madison here and and uh, even got a couple eats on a salmon fly there too as well so um Super fun just trying to get it all in here, spend that quality family time and uh, get all my work and responsibilities done, get in my training, uh, and that just makes the days fly by. So um, every day that flies by, I'm a day closer to hunting season. Uh, so absolutely can't wait. Uh, I've drawn a – see – Drew one early season high country hunt and uh, got some good hunts lined up, some good over-the-counter stuff. And um, my home state here in Montana got some tags, so super pumped. And a couple more drawings yet to be released, so um, we'll see if I can maybe uh, sneak out another tag here or another hunt. But uh, either way, it's going to be a full season and um, absolutely can't wait. So uh, thanks, you guys, for the support. Really appreciate it on the podcast. You guys are the ones that keep this thing rolling, so... Um, man, yeah, thanks. Support on the podcast, downloads, uh, reviews, they all help out. And, um, also on, uh, the shares on social media really help. So I just appreciate this community we're in. Um, man, I had a guy reach out, uh, we had Dave on the podcast and he was having problems with his truck and had, uh, somebody reach out and, and wanted to help Dave out with, uh, donating some work or donating some parts and things of that nature. Man, it's just an awesome community to be part of. I was just so happy Dave sent me a message, and um, he was totally stoked. So that's what it's all about, um, just being part of this this great community. So um, thanks, you guys. I really appreciate it. With that, i got to get back on the roof and uh, do some more heat training and get that done so I can make the uh, Western Hunting Summit this weekend. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's a wrap. Check in with you guys soon.